This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. You may feel like college football season's far away. Let me ask you guys something. Do you realize camps open next month? Yeah, you can say that phrase and it's an actual fact. Those teams that play in week zero, aka August 27th, I think it is, they start camp next month. Media days are next month. We're not that far away, guys. We're inside 100 days. We have got a loaded mailbag this morning. I am Josh Pate. This is something we do once a week. Now, we do Late Kick all the time, Sunday night, Thursday night, live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. But you know what else we do? We throw an extra mailbag exclusive episode in here every Wednesday as we're doing today at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on podcast, or Instagram because we're on podcast right now. That's how you can get in touch with me. And we're loaded up. We got eight big ones this morning or afternoon, depending on when you're listening. Let's waste no time. Let's dive right in. Antonio leads us off and he said, what other schools have the most to gain by leaving their current conferences to join higher revenue generating conferences? Perhaps, and then he just lists USC, Oregon, Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida State, Oklahoma State, from Modesto, California. That's where he's checking in from. And the hashtag Pate State there. We appreciate that. There were a lot of teams listed there. So we're talking here about the future, obviously. And Antonio is speculating that we may have some more conference expansion coming. And I agree with him. I think it would be foolish at this point, given just the recent history of college football, to look at what the SEC has done, look at what the Big 12 then just had to do, and to think, oh, all's well that ends well. I guess everyone's going to hit the freeze button, and their current lineup is the lineup they're going to stick with. That's not the case. There have been, just in the last couple of months, some key indicators from some really public, front-facing officials on the front lines of this sort of thing that have indicated there's back-channeling happening right now. You know, there are conferences and there are teams reaching out to conferences that would love to move right now if they could. Well, I think he listed some very likely candidates. In other words, if I think it were opened up today, you know, USC, I think would love to have a more certain future. I think Oregon would love to have a more certain future. Several programs in the ACC, I think would love to have a more certain future. Now, there are things that stand in the way, more so on the ACC side of the fence than the Pac-12 but I think that, you know, when you look at the ACC and you've got that whole grant of rights deal and they're, they're essentially locked in until the 2030s, everyone you talk to, and I feel this way too, is, they say something like this. They say, mm, but they'll figure something out. You know, I don't think that they're just really going to be locked in there against their will that long. But then when you say, okay, what are they going to figure out? What do you mean? People are short on solutions there. They just, they assume something will happen. And that's kind of where I am. I think if Clemson wants to go to the SEC, and if the SEC were to really want Clemson, I don't know that they, they're exploring that. I'm just saying, hypothetically, if, if both parties wanted that, I don't know how it would happen. I just think that they'd figure out a way for it to happen before 2036 or whenever that is. So I would look at 
schools out on the West Coast like Oregon and USC. And the reason I mention those two is because they are proven revenue producers themselves and they would be adequate additions to any conference's inventory. And then also I would look at teams like Miami, teams like Florida State, North Carolina, Clemson, those kind of teams on the Atlantic Coast side of things. And then with Notre Dame, the other interesting aspect here is how are they going to shape the future by they, I mean the big conferences, in terms of their TV deals, you know, because right now Notre Dame looks around and they have not needed to join a conference. But when you look at the price tag, that inclusion into some of these conferences is going to carry along with it. For instance, you know, if you're watching the clip we're going to put up on the YouTube channel, the SEC is going to give out around, and this is estimated, a $118 million per year stipend to every member institution just for being in the conference because of their new TV deal. Big 10, over $100 million a year just for being in the Big 10. How long does Notre Dame look at that and say to themselves, mm, both conferences would take us tomorrow, but we're just going to willingly forego that? I don't know. I, don't, I also think that the best shot you have ever had of kind of forcing Notre Dame into a conference has been exclude them from the playoff one year, not by rule, but by saying, well, it's neck and neck and you guys didn't win a conference, so you're not going to be in here because we value conference championships. I think that's always been the way to um, kind of force Notre Dame's hand there. But I, I think it's a good question. I think there are a number of institutions out there quietly looking to make a move while publicly they say, we're, we're completely all in and we're happy with the way things are right now. Uh, newsflash, no one is happy with the way things are right now. Appreciate you guys being tuned in, locked in this morning, wherever you are. They're listening all over the world, not just the country, but all over the world. So our numbers are great. Thank you for that. Next up, checking in from Franklin, Tennessee here. Cole asks, are recruits going to be like Dr. Jonas Miller by following the money and not the science? There was a 100% chance I was going to answer this question because of the Jonas Miller reference. Jonas Miller, a nightcrawler, was a character in Twister. He was the evil storm chaser. And Bill Paxton, his chief complaint against Jonas was not that he chased storms, it's that he was in it for the money, not the science. A lot of you have taken that same tone about recruiting right now. You're watching these recruits and someone told you once upon a time that kids just picked the school they went to because of the school, but now it's all because of the money. And in reality, there were always threads of that that were woven into the recruiting process. But on the surface, I understand your allegation. I'm there with you. I'm not a fan necessarily of the way things are working at the present moment either. The answer to this question is what Lane Kiffin said last week. Yeah, about 99 times out of 100, you could have the best setup and academic support, and you could have the best coaching staff and the best environment in the world but if the other guy comes in and offers $100,000, $450,000, the money's going to win out. And I don't get mad at it. You know, I'm, I'm not taking the tact here, nor have I ever, that I get mad at players for taking advantage of a situation that is the result of a mess the adults allowed to occur. When we talk about the mess, to be clear, I'm not speaking in the abstract. I am saying specifically because the powers that be did not take proactive steps 20 years ago to curtail this, then we have the mess we have now. Now, you got to figure out how to clean it up, and we could do several shows on that. But yes, a lot of kids are going to take the money. Uh, and there will be some out there who are outliers who look at an opportunity and they say, 
I'm going to make a 40-year decision instead of a four-year decision. And while I may give up some financial income on the front end, I'm going to you know, reap the financial benefits on the back end for much longer. And that's, that's sound financial judgment. Uh, that's good economic sense. Do I really expect 17-year-old kids to have that? And do I expect all of the support system around them to have that? No. No, it's unrealistic to think that. Uh, most full-grown adults don't have that. Why would I expect high school recruits to be any different? So, yeah, I think money's going to win out a lot. Uh, but I, I, we're early. We're very early in this process now. So a lot of you are complaining about this, and I get it, because you don't think this is what the spirit of college football is supposed to be. Here's what I'm asking you. Here's what I'm asking myself. Let's just let it play out for a little while, and let's take a look. Because you know as well as I do, there's going to be a case study of a program that loads up on players they bought, however you want to phrase it, they're bought, and they're going to not meet expectation. And then people are going to use that as an example of a cautionary tale. And coaches are going to go out on the recruiting trail and they're going to say, hey, once upon a time, kids like you had an option and they took the money and they went to fill in the blank university and look how it turned out. And what if that fill in the blank university did a very poor job of developing those players so they had NFL potential coming out of high school, but it was never realized because they were never properly developed and they washed out. And all of a sudden, yeah, they got $600,000 coming out of high school. That's wonderful. They've got to live 70 more years. And they've also got family that in the real world, if they made it to the NFL, they'd be able to take care of. $600,000 is not going to take care of a full family for the next 80 years. Like, what planet are we living on? And so I think that some of this will correct itself. Not all of it. Now, I hear this all the time. Oh, the market will correct. I think some of the market will correct. Uh, but it's not going to be a total shift back to what we did have. Some would argue that's for the better. Some would argue that's for the worst. I'll leave the argument for another day. But yes, in the short term, some kids absolutely are going to take the money. Most kids are absolutely going to take the money. We'll see what happens longer term. Next up, Michael Gold hits us up from Pembroke Pines, Florida. And he says, given your prediction and your projections of college football, which programs do you think will experience the most improvement this year? Well, I've got one, two, three, I got four of them that just pop right to the top of my mind. The first one is Nebraska, but I've talked about Nebraska a lot. So I'm not going to give you all the reasons again. You know all the reasons. That a bunch of close losses last year, second most active team in the portal. So I think that even though you look at the returning production numbers out there and they're not sky high, I think it's misleading with Nebraska because I think they did fairly significantly upgrade their roster, especially at quarterback with Casey Thompson. And remember about Casey Thompson, who was the former Texas quarterback, for those of you who don't follow the sport day to day, thank you for listening to the podcast, though. Remember about Casey Thompson, this is not like a true freshman coming in and you're just putting all your eggs in the true freshman basket. That's not the way it is. He has already played high-level football. He played at Texas. So the spotlight's not going to get to him. The pressure's not going to get to him. Nebraska plays Oklahoma in week three. Casey Thompson's already been there. And so there are a lot of things that you're asking him to do at Nebraska that at least will not be new to him. Uh, so you've got that going for Nebraska. They had three wins last year. Their over-under win total is seven and a half this year. So I, at the very least, I expect improvement from them. The next team is Texas. Texas, as I've said a million times, this will just be a million and one. I think will be the most fascinating team in the country this year, high level or otherwise, but especially since they're a national brand. Think about how many ingredients have been thrown in the blender here. 
Quinn Ewers, just if I mentioned this alone, if I didn't change anything about Texas, but I just brought Quinn Ewers in. Big time quarterback, number one quarterback in the cycle a couple of years ago. That alone would make Texas must see. But then when I tell you they brought in other guys, they overturned like 40% of their roster. They got the number six transfer portal class. Uh, they finished number five. Don't forget this. They had a top five recruiting class to go along with this number six portal class. They improved on the lines of scrimmage in recruiting, at least on paper they did. That's all we can go by right now. I think Texas, when you look at them last year failing to make a bowl game, but you look at their over-under win total in the eight and a half or even nine win range, depending on where you look this year, yeah, it's a lofty expectation, but that's an improvement. If they win eight games, that's an improvement. They may have the best running back in the country. Who knows? Maybe they've got the best quarterback, not in the country. I mean, I'm not expecting Quinn Ewers to just instantly be Bryce Young, new and improved. But what if, what if Bryce Young, or what if Quinn Ewers rather, fulfills on 80% of the hype rate and the expectation people have for him? Texas would be the Big 12 champion. That's what would happen if that were to occur. So Texas is one. USC is another one. USC's over under preseason win total is at nine. They were so bad last year, they fired a coach. So Lincoln Riley's coming there. He has the most activity in the portal. They've got the top overall portal class. So they went four and eight last year. Vegas over under is nine right now. Even if they fall a little bit short of that expectation, it still means they've improved. I mean, if they make a bowl game, they've significantly improved. I, I look at the raw talent roster that's been assembled there. And if they were to win eight games, let's just for argument's sake, put them at eight and four, There'd be some people disappointed. I would not be one of them. You know, I guess if they start 5-0 and and then they falter down the stretch, yeah, you'll be asking, oh, what, what could have been? What if? But bottom line is that would mean they've doubled their win total in the span of one year. That would be a good sign. And I would imagine there'd probably be a lot of volatility in that 8-4 and four record to where in some of those eight wins, they probably played well enough to make you think, wow, when they click, anything's possible. Imagine what 2023 is going to be like. But USC, I expect them to be one. And I don't even have to leave LA for the other team. UCLA, this has got to be such an opportune position for Chip Kelly. They were the number eight team in our transfer portal rankings. Kelly recently signed an extension. They were eight and four last year. Did you know that's their best record since 2018? Did anyone know that? They did it so quietly. And here they are, and they return a quarterback, and they've got uh, guys like Charbonnet, you know, the running back out there. They've got established production guys offensively, hired a new defensive coordinator, uh, Bill Musgrave, or Bill McGovern, by the way. He's got like 100 million years of experience. But also, they sit in the same city as Lincoln Riley. And so they get no spotlight, they will get no attention, and they're just kind, of, just kind of hovering out there. Utah comes into the Rose Bowl, just not the most intimidating atmosphere in the world, but they've got a, a schedule that sets up very well for them to maybe pull off some surprises. Their, their win total is eight and a half. So who knows? You know, right now, I think a lot of people know there are high expectations for USC. Did you know that UCLA's expectations almost mirror theirs? For year one under Chip Kelly, or year one under uh, Lincoln Riley, I don't think a lot of people realize that. So you give me Nebraska, Texas, USC, and UCLA there. The next question we have not talked about yet, you and I have not had time to kind of chop this up. 
Drew checking in from Dalton, Georgia. He said, how do you feel about the New Year's Six Bowl games being played on January 2nd and the Sugar Bowl not being primetime this year? Well, I got to be real with you, Drew. I had conflicted opinions about this, and I still do. So the way that the games are happening this particular year, I mean, in terms of a college football year, is New Year's Day falls on Sunday. I don't know if you've been aware of this, but the NFL kind of owns Sunday in December and January. So what college football has done is they have moved some of the New Year's Six games to December 31st, and they've moved some of them to January 2nd. And so my initial thought was to be defensive about it, because you know how much I don't believe in catering our sport to the NFL. But when you get TV partners in the room, I'm also a realist. I understand sometimes you have to acquiesce. If I'm ESPN and I'm paying billions of dollars for the NFL, yes, even though I've paid a lot of money for this college football contract too, the NFL is going to win out. So I understand. I don't have to like it, but I understand that. But then I started to think about it more. And even if I'm a college football fan, even if I never watch the NFL, some of you don't care for the pro game. I watch both, but some of you don't even care for the pro game. But even if you are in that camp, I want you to think this through for me for just a second. You get on December 31st, the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl. That's a Saturday night. And then you get New Year's Day being on a Sunday. Now, you're going to have a full slate of NFL games if you so choose to partake. But even if you don't, I think that you probably have the following Monday off. I, I would assume if your boss is worth his salt, you've got to have January 2nd off, I would hope. So think about it. Just picture it. Think about you have the Sunday games. And for those of you who love the NFL, this is going to work out perfect for you. You get a full slate of Sunday ball on January 1st. And then on January 2nd, we have games like the Sugar Bowl. I think even the Rose Bowl. Colin, could you throw that slider back up for just a second? Because I wasn't even looking at it irresponsible. There, there are, I know are games like the Sugar Bowl happening on January 2nd. The Rose Bowl, though, which is always parked on New Year's Day, is also on January 2nd. So that whole, that whole lineup you have sometimes where you have the Cotton Bowl earlier in the day, then you have the Rose Bowl, that classic 5 p.m. slot, then you have the Sugar Bowl at 8.45, which is a little late for my taste, but whatever. That's happening, uh, well, the Sugar Bowl's happening December 31st, but those, two, those other two are happening on January 2nd. So if you want to line your viewing experience up, December 30th, Orange Bowl, New Year's Eve, Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl, New Year's Day, bunch of NFL, the second, Cotton Bowl and Rose Bowl. That is one, two, three, that's four, that's five days in a row that you get a whole lot, four days in a row at least, you get a whole lot of college football. So I am... At the end of the day, not all that upset about it. I'm going to be able to live. I'm going to be able to deal with it, I think. Next up. Oh, we get to go into hypothetical land here. Oh, boy. This one's been asked. Years and years and years this one's been asked. But it doesn't hurt us to ask at least once more. From Cleveland, Tennessee. If Saban never left the Dolphins and stayed in the NFL, which SEC program would be the number one brand in the SEC? I have an easy and quick answer for you. It would be the Florida Gators. Florida, under Urban Meyer, maybe still to this day, who knows, would be the number one brand in college football. Do you remember what Florida was about to do? When Saban came to Alabama, in fact, they were already in the process of doing it. Florida had won the title in 06. That was Urban's first title. 
That was Florida's first title since uh, Spurrier. And so they had Tim Tebow there. They were rocking and rolling. They were recruiting at the very, very top level of the sport. And Saban came in in 07 at Alabama. In 08, they faced Florida in the SEC championship game. It was a classic. I was there. Uh, Tim Tebow leads a fourth quarter comeback. They beat Bama. They go on to beat Oklahoma in the title game. That's Urban Meyer's second title in three years. The following year, rematch SEC championship game, Bama handles Florida. And it was never the same for Florida. But in this alternate universe, Nick Saban's not at Alabama. I don't know who is, but Saban's not at Alabama. So you could have fun on your own if you just want to figure out who would have taken the job. But the follow-up is whoever would have taken that job is highly unlikely to have unseated Urban Meyer as hastily as Nick Saban did. So what would have happened to Florida? Maybe you could make the argument, mm, they were already showing some internal signs of disorganization and they were eventually going to crumble from within. You can say that. I don't know that. For all I know, let's say they would have gotten to the 2010 season and they would have just had a setback. But maybe if the pressure wasn't being applied by Alabama, Urban doesn't leave and maybe he just gets the ship righted. You know, maybe 2011 they're right back and 2012 they win the title and 2013, maybe they end up going on a run like, well, number one, like Saban did, but Urban, he hadn't lost his juice. Remember, he went to Ohio State and, and beat Saban. They won a title again in 2014. So. I think it would have been Florida. And keep in mind, you had LSU under Les Miles. Uh, Les Miles, if not for Nick Saban, I could make the argument Les Miles would have one or multiple additional titles on his resume. Mark Richt at Georgia? What if Mark Richt didn't have Saban in his way in years like 2012? He still would have had to deal with Urban Meyer. But maybe instead of Nick Saban dominating the SEC, maybe it would have been Mark Richt versus Urban Meyer. Maybe that just would have been the back and forth every single year. And as we well know, Florida plays LSU every year. So absent Nick Saban in the SEC, I think the Urban Meyer versus Les Miles rivalry would have been heated for years to come. I think the Urban Meyer-Mark Richt rivalry would have been heated for years to come. Remember, Steve Spurrier was about to enter the SEC again too. And not that Nick Saban necessarily had a great big effect on Steve Spurrier. Spurrier beat him in 2010. But the SEC would have probably been a lot more balanced at the top, but they still would have been dominant, I think. They still would have been just as dominant. But my answer, in short, is Florida and Urban Meyer. That's my answer. Next up, oh boy. Next five years, huh? Todd is asking, pick two of these five teams that are most likely in five years to have a national championship. We got Michigan, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Miami, and USC. And I've got to pick two out of the five that are the most likely to win a national championship in the next five years. Huh. Well, I got to tell you, all I have to go on is the present, Todd. And in the present, we have NIL and Portal obviously dominating every facet of every college football conversation. So which two teams there look most likely to leverage those two things to their benefit? The first one I think is Texas A&M, and the second one I think is USC. You could make a solid argument Miami's in there, 
but I think the two that I'm going to go with are Texas A&M and USC. Texas A&M sits there in the same division as Bama, right? Well, they have already shown they can beat them. They did it last year. Uh, they've shown that they can go toe-to-toe with them in recruiting. They did it this year. Jimbo has shown absolutely not one micro ounce of fear of Nick Saban. I think that's pretty emphatic and has been stated in the past month. So a lot of the things that normally make you hesitate to buy into a team being able to compete with Bama, I don't necessarily know that those elements are in the room as much with Texas A&M. Not to mention, it doesn't seem like there are any signs that they're going to slow down in recruiting. So the talent level is going to be there. I'm not one of these people that believes Jimbo Fisher happened to luck into a title in 2013 but doesn't know what he's doing. Like, look, if you don't think he's the best coach in the world, okay. But I've, you know my philosophy on this. I've always found it funny, people who question a coach's actual coaching ability. Because if I got you in a room with him, he'd just talk circles around you. And so that, that doesn't mean that he's the greatest coach in the world, but it does mean you're not qualified to judge him. That's what I'm saying. Because you don't know what you're talking about. I'm including me there. But the difference is, I don't ever do it. I don't question a coach's actual X's and O's acumen. I don't, because I don't know what I'm talking about compared to them. So if you want to compare resumes, if you want to compare trophy cases, okay. Well, Jimbo's got a trophy. Not many more active coaches do. So I'm going to say him. And I'm also going to say a guy who doesn't have one yet but who very well could one day, Lincoln Riley. I did a segment a year or two, it was at least in the last two years, about Lincoln Riley. At the time, he was at Oklahoma, and a lot of people had already started to say his ceiling is making the playoff. His ceiling is getting there but coming short of a national championship. And I just, I remember thinking to myself, we, we did this same stupid thing with Kirby Smart. Fortunately, he finally won a title, so I don't have to listen to it anymore. Kirby Smart in 2017 comes within an overtime miracle pass of winning a national title. And yet people kept saying, oh, he can't win a title. Yes, he was right there. Yes, he can. It's like a coin flip scenario at that point. Lincoln Riley, that same year, right before Georgia played Bama, Lincoln Riley took Georgia to overtime. Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma, had they won that game? Probably a coin flip situation too. If you're in overtime, it stands to reason you've played the game pretty evenly. If they go on to play Bama, they would have pushed Bama just as well. So I have always looked at Lincoln Riley, and I think there's a big difference between he hasn't versus he can't. Lincoln Riley is a guy to me who hasn't won a national title. He is not a guy who can't win a national title. But if you think he can't, I guess you disagree with me here, but I'm looking at USC, and I'm looking at the path he's going to have out there, and I'm looking at the ready-made access he's going to have to all the talent in the world, not the least of which is at the quarterback position. He already had that, though. I wonder, what did he learn at Oklahoma? What did he see about himself when he self-scouts his teams? How does he see himself as having to get better? And then how does he implement that at USC? That'll ultimately determine how far they go. Uh, NIL certainly not going to hurt, though. The portal certainly not going to hurt. So, I mean, I think out of those five, if I had to take two, Southern Cal's one of them, and Texas A&M is the other one. It's hard to pick, though. Like, it's, how do you, how do you take those five brands? It's, it's almost as hard as picking when I do this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You know it was probably an appropriate time there to take the unexpected and totally unpredictable ad toss break. Uh, I needed a sip of water, which reminds me of one of the more humiliating stories I've had over the last year, but I'll share it with you. So last night, I'm asleep, as you tend to do at night. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I got two 16-ounce bottles of water on my nightstand. I normally drink both of them over the course of an evening. And so I wake up at like 2, but I'm not fully awake. You've been there before. I reach over. I'm laying on my back. I reach over. I grab the water bottle. I probably drink about half of the water. My body was contorted in such a way that I could not fully reach the nightstand with my water bottle. So I had two options here. Either one, roll over, and that was just a bridge too far at that point. I was really comfortable. Or number two, do what I did. Hold the bottle in your hand as it's outstretched and just fall back asleep. There's no cap on the bottle, guys. And so my hand did what your hand tends to do once your body is asleep. It just kind of fell back towards the bed, and the water bottle that it was holding tilted towards the bed, and I ended up pouring half a bottle of water all over myself in bed. I didn't wake up immediately is the problem. So when I finally did wake up, my bed is soaked. Now, what do you think I thought I had done? I really thought I was five years old again. I thought I had wet the bed. I mean, I genuinely thought that I had wet the bed last night. And I was, I didn't know what to do. Are you embarrassed? Are you scared? Do you even get up? What do I do? And then finally, I looked at my hand, which was still holding an empty water bottle at that point, and realized what, what had happened. And so, man. Like, that actually happened to me last night. I need college football to get here. See, the the plus side of the season getting here is I don't sleep. That'll never happen to me. I will never quasi-wet the bed during the months of September, October, November, or December. Look, let's dive back in, please, and talk about things that won't be used against me in blackmail fashion down the road. Uh, Carol asked a very apropos question. She said, what game do you hope to be able to go to this season the most? Oklahoma at Nebraska is the game I hope I have a reason to go to. And to be clear, what I mean by that is Nebraska needs to be undefeated. I think Oklahoma is going to take care of business. I need Nebraska to take care of business. That game's in week three. This is not the tallest task in the world, but I need Nebraska to be undefeated because if both of them are 3-0, and I think the record would be there, or 2-0, and whatever it is, I cannot wait to see what that place is like. I made the comparison on Late Kick Live Sunday night which made some of you mad, I said, you know what that environment could be like? That could be like when Texas went and played Arkansas last year. Some Oklahoma fans got up in arms because apparently that equaled me comparing their program to Texas. Um, Like, settle down. It's not that serious. It is serious, but the comparison wasn't. You're thinking way too far beneath the surface there. Just take it for what it was. 
I mean that Lincoln, Nebraska, the stadium itself, would be a lot like Arkansas was welcoming Texas in last year. Undefeated, back against the wall. It's kind of like the wounded animal mode theory our buddy J.C. Sherbert always talks about. And Nebraska's got something to prove, and the world doesn't believe in them. But yet the point spread indicates should be a close game. A lot of uncertainty. You know, you're taking that Oklahoma show on the road for the first time under Britton Venables. Who knows what they are? Who knows how Dylan Gabriel is going to perform on the road in that kind of environment? You got a lot of new pieces you're trying to break in. Anyway, my point is, I did not get to be at the Texas-Arkansas game last year. Boy, I sure do want to be at that Oklahoma-Nebraska game this year. Uh, the other question from Jesse was, not producer Jesse, it was, how real is the letdown theory after playing a big game the week before? All of you in the betting world have heard this term, letdown. But it, you don't have to have bet college football to know that sometimes when you play a big game, the following week, for whatever reason, you feel flat. Not all the time, but sometimes. I am a believer in this, as is anyone who watches sports. We've seen it happen before. But what causes it? That's, to me, the bigger takeaway. Because I am a believer that sometimes the letdown theory is not mental as much as it is physical. I think that sometimes, I don't think people realize enough what goes into preparing for a game physically. And the mental side is a part of this. But here's my illustration. If you as a fan base are circling a game and you're building up to it and there's a ton of hype behind it, your players are not robots. Your coaches are not robots. No matter how many times they meet with the media that week and they say this is just another game. That's never true. It is never true that a team full of human beings, no matter their age, is able to treat every game the same. Doesn't matter. You can be Nick Saban, you can be the best coach in the world, and you can preach it yourself, but everybody knows that UT Chattanooga coming in versus Texas A&M coming in are two different animals. Everybody gets that. So your buildup is different. Sometimes we do shows here with Lake Kick that are more involved than other shows. And when you do them, there is so much mental work and preparation that goes into it that when you're done, you think to yourself, Dude, we got another one of those to do in 48 hours. It's like you've emptied the barrel entirely. And you got to start filling that thing up again as quickly as you can. Well, in football, it's the same way. Mentally, all that stuff goes into it. But then also, physically, the toll that is taken on your roster when you play one of those bigger games is such that the hits are harder, the players are faster. So everything's bigger, everything's faster, everything's stronger. And therefore, your training room's more busy the following Sunday morning. You got more bumps and bruises and cuts and scrapes and in some cases pulls and partial tears and whatever the case may be. All that stuff adds up. It's not just the mental. It's not just the neck up. It's the neck down. And then what you have to do is you have to start getting ready for another opponent the following day. Coaches get ready on Sunday. Players at least get Sunday off. They get ready on Monday. But imagine pouring all that physical and emotional energy into a Saturday coming up. It's so easy to get yourself up for that. But then imagine knowing you got another one in six days, five days away once you get to Monday. And you have to study and prep and everything because here's the problem. While you look at the following Saturday and you say, oh man, we got to get back up for that one. Sometimes your opponent had a bye week or sometimes at the very least your opponent did not play the caliber of team the week before you did. So they are treating you the following week like you treated the previous opponent and those dynamics are so disproportionate 
that it leads to volatility and result. That's how college football works. I mean, really, that's a microcosm of any Saturday. When you turn on your TV at 7 o'clock in the evening and you're looking at scores, scroll up across the bottom of the screen, how many times do you find yourself saying, how did that happen? Or, well, I never saw that coming. All it is is a combination in some, in some capacity of the things I just talked about. Then you throw in bounces of ball and just varying execution levels on any given Saturday. It's the beauty of sports. That's why this stuff's not played on paper. And that's why, you know, when you get to the end of the year and you got a bunch of people talking about who they think would win on a neutral field, a lot of other folks scoff at it because they say, I watch unpredictable results pan out every week. So all due respect, I don't care what you think would happen because what you think would happen goes the other way all the time. And you're right when you say that. You're right if you're listening to the pod too. Thank you. Thank you eternally. Thank you. I, you know, I don't tout our numbers as much because some of your feedback said, hey, you talk about this stuff too much. Stop talking about it. So I just kind of mix it in and whisper it every now and then. Our numbers, we're up 200% year over year on the podcast alone, not even the YouTube channel. So thank you. All I can ask you to do, if you haven't already, which many of you still have not, I see the metrics. If you're listening already, subscribe to the podcast. That's it. It doesn't change anything. It just helps our it helps our internals, as they say. So for director, Colin, for producer, Jesse, for everyone here, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, share the show with a friend or 10 today, why don't you? Until next time, have a great rest of your day and God bless. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.